We're on a sermon series about prayer. 21 days of prayer and fasting. Kurt began this series uh, with an overview about fasting, and then last week online he talked about why we pray, and, and the, kind of the gist of what he said is, if, if you knew who you were talking to, it would affect the way that you pray. If, if you knew how good God is, it would affect how you pray. If you didn't hear those messages, I'd encourage you to go online, go on YouTube, and uh, pick them up, because they're very strong messages, and, and I would like you to uh, have that solid base of your understanding about prayer. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit differently than those messages. I want to talk to you today about how to pray when you haven't got a prayer. Um, I know several of you are going through rough times right now. Some of you are in the midst of a health crisis. You don't really know what tomorrow holds. In fact, you don't even know if you have a tomorrow. For others, you've been in financial difficulty, or, or you've got a family issue, a crisis with your kids or with your spouse. There's upheaval, and the future is kind of foggy for you. It's hard to know what to do or where to go. Oftentimes, um, when people are in these kinds of crises, it doesn't seem like there's any good options. Nothing has prepared them for the trouble they're going through. In fact, sometimes people are saying, where is God in all this? Why is this happening? What am I supposed to do? My dad used to call these situations um, stuck between a rock and a hard spot. Maybe you've had that feeling before. There's a story in the Bible where the people of God, the Israelites, have come to one of those places where they're stuck between a rock and a hard spot. And um, the Israelites, have, they've been living in slavery and to captivity for 430 years, and finally Egypt has let them go. And they've taken off, they're getting out of town, they're headed for their land of promise, the wonderful new land God said they could have, and they come up against a really big obstacle, the Red Sea. It's a problem because there's two million people traveling, and they've come to a place where they've got to cross about 10 miles across the Red Sea, and it's in water that's 850 feet deep. So they're not going to just wade across the stream. It's, it's a big problem. So they stop, and they're camped out, and they're trying to figure out what to do, and, and the problem gets worse. They discovered that Pharaoh changed his mind about letting them go, and he sent his army charging in behind them. So it's really like a double whammy. The sea's in front of him, Pharaoh's army's charging in from the back, and it doesn't really look like there's any good options. It wasn't the plan they'd made. They hadn't prepared for this. They're, they're traveling into new territory, and they're going down a road that they've never anticipated. They've never traveled before, and they're looking at troubles, troubles ahead, troubles behind, things they've never faced before. Maybe that describes you today. You thought you were following the Lord. You thought you were doing all the right things, but now you find yourself in unexplored territory. You've been following Jesus, but suddenly the road ahead is unpaved. You're on a road. In fact, it just seems to be unfolding step after step as you go down the road. But if you're following the Lord, even though, even though you've never been down this road before, even though you don't know where it's going, that doesn't mean God doesn't know where it's going. God knows where it's going. He knows what He's doing. Even when you don't know what you're doing, God knows what He's doing. And so, friends, just keep following Him. During this time of turmoil and crisis, 
that time that you feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard spot, the question comes up, okay, what do you do? Where do you turn? Where, where are you supposed to go when all the news is bad? Where do you go when things look grim and unfamiliar and when, when things are so foggy that you can't see the next step in front of you? Kathy and I one time went to Portland for a concert. We were coming back late at night and we came down I-5 and we took the Hubbard cutoff. And when we took the cutoff at Hubbard, it was so foggy you couldn't see at all. And we were watching, I was driving, I was watching the white fog line on the side of the road just creeping along and you're going slow and everything seems like it's in the wrong place. And then all of a sudden the fog line disappeared. And we just gasped. We held our breath as we crossed over that empty space. We just waited for the fog line to come back. It finally did. But we were kind of in panic mode there for a while. Well, what happens when you're when you're trying to follow the Lord and the fog line disappears. You can't see where you're going. How do you deal with it? When the confusion and the grief and the sadness and the struggle and the anger and the fear begin to overwhelm you. Well, the Bible's a good place to go. Psalm 77 was written by a man named Asaph. He was one of David's key musicians. And he was apparently going through the same kind of thing you might be going through today. He writes this psalm, and in it, it gives a step-by-step pathway for prayer. I want to encourage you maybe to jot a few things down today. Maybe you're not going through the thing I'm describing right now, but I can predict that someday you will be. All of us go through times where we think we're stuck between a rock and a hard spot. And, um, and you might not need it today, but you will. So Psalm 77, verse 1, Asaph says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out. To God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought out the Lord, and at night I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. So when you're when you're stuck in a heart between a rock and a hard spot, when your back's against the wall, there's a few things we do. And the first thing that Asaph did is write this down. He cried out to God. Cry out to God. Let God hear your voice. Tell him exactly what's going on. Give him the details. I, w- I want you to notice what Asaph says. He says, I cried out. He says, I sought out. I stretched out. You actually might want to circle those three phrases. I cried out. I sought out. I stretched out. So uh, this is not a little, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. Asaph is in distress. When he says, I cried out, it's the same, it's the same Hebrew word that means uh, when you're under attack and something's coming in to harm you, to hurt you, and you're, and you're saying, help! I cried out. That's what he says. I cried out to God. He's very emphatic about it. In fact, he's so emphatic about it, he says it twice. I cried out to God to help. I cried out to God to hear me. It's like saying, God, help me. God, are you listening to me? Have you ever cried out to God like that in your distress, in your pain, in your anger, in your frustration? Have you ever had a time in your life where God seems to like have withdrawn from you? God, are you there? If you have had a time like that, you're in pretty good company. Because even Jesus on the cross, in the midst of his deepest pain, cried out, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? What he's saying is, God, where are you? 
Have you ever felt like that in prayer? God, where are you? God, are you listening? God, don't you see what's happening to me? God, don't you care? I take a lot of comfort in knowing Jesus felt that that way when he prayed. It seemed to him like God hadn't been paying attention, that God didn't care. So Asaph says, God, are you even listening? So, friends, when you feel like you're between a rock and a hard spot, do what Asaph did. Do what Jesus did. Cry out to God and tell him all about what's going on. The Bible promises this in Psalm 72, verse 12. He will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. So Asaph knows the Bible. He says, I cried out. And then in verse 2, he says, I sought out. When I was in distress, I sought out the Lord. That, that means, this is what I think it means. I think he starts pounding on heaven's door. I cried out. I sought out. <clears throat> God, are you there? God, are you listening? See, he's looking for some sign of God's presence. He's saying, God, I I know you're there someplace. I I, I can't see you. I can't hear you. But I know you're there someplace. There's a promise in Scripture for those who seek the Lord. It says in Psalm 34, verse 1, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from my fears. Another place, I didn't put it in your notes, but Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So Asaph knows God and Asaph knows the scripture. So he starts dialing himself in. He starts focusing himself. He's going to make an earnest, careful search for God. So how do you do that? Well, I think the first thing you got to do is put everything else that's not essential, on pause. You turn to God in prayer. You get into the Word. You start eliminating all the other distractions. Let Him hear your voice. One of the things that we've been doing in this 21 days of prayer and fasting is we've encouraged people to fast. And one of the things that fasting does is helps you dial in. It helps you to focus. You're in the middle of you know, going through a circumstance and your stomach goes, you think, oh yeah, dial in. God, where are you? Verse 2, Psalm 77, Asa says, at night I stretched out untiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted. He's cried out, he sought out, he stretched out. When I, when I read this, it reminds me when my kids were really little, they would wake up when they were sleeping in a crib, they'd stand up, they'd start hollering, and they would be, they'd have their arms out, and they, they'd want me to come comfort them. Actually, they wanted Kathy to come comfort them, <clears throat> but... Asaph is like a a little child. He's frightened. He's crying. Nobody hears his cry. He wants his father to come and comfort him. He's stretching out. He says, at night, I stretched out untiring hands. Have you ever felt like you're living like in a nightmare? You're like pacing the floor. You're calling out to God. You're reaching out to him. You're wanting to be held and comforted by God. You're wanting to be rescued. And there's nothing else that can satisfy you. God, I need you. I mean, television won't do it. Food won't do it. Hobbies won't do it. You get this gnawing desperation in your heart, and it's, it's a longing that only God can fill. I mean, I know. I've been there. I know that you've probably been there. 
Nothing can distract you. Nothing can give you comfort or relief. This is a desperate time of searching for God. <clears throat> Maybe you can relate to what David says in Psalm 143, verse 4. My spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. And then he has this interesting word in the Bible, Selah. To be honest, nobody knows for sure what it means. But because the Psalms were generally meant to be musical, um, they're like hymns, you'd sing them, Selah, it's thought to be a musical term where you take a little interlude here. It's like a musical interlude. Inter not intertube, interlude. <laughs> means stop here. Listen a little bit. We do that once in a while in our praise music. I think there was a little Selah today in one of the places, a little guitar thing, a little music thing. It's meant to reflect on what's happened. Then he goes on. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I'll be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for you I lift up my soul. So cry out to God, that's the first thing. The second thing is just be honest and admit your feelings and fears. God's not really that interested in Sunday school platitudes. I mean, he likes Sunday school platitudes for, from Sunday school kids. But from you, he wants you to be honest. So don't just put on a happy face and pretend everything's okay. Just be honest. Listen to what Asaph says, verse 3. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. <laughs> you know, if I told Kathy that, oh, Kathy, I, I love you, babe, but when I remember you, I groan. Asaph's been crying out all night. He wants to hear God, but he's frustrated. I mean, he's just confused, and he re when he remembers God, he says, when I remember you, God, I groaned. Apparently, his effort to find comfort from prayer had failed. Sometimes all you can do is muster up a groan. D did you know in the Bible there's such a thing as groaning prayer? The Bible says in Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes you get to the place you just can't come up with what to pray for. I, I don't know what to pray for, God. Sometimes groaning prayer is just a place. It's just, oh. You know what? When you gro groan in prayer, the Lord understands what you're praying about. He knows your heart. Groaning prayer is, is, is actually prayer that comes from the language of the heart. And he knows what wordless prayers are like. We tell him what we know, what we feel, what we want, but he also knows what's going on inside of us. And so we admit our feelings. And then it says here in verse 3, Psalm 77, I mused and my spirit grew faint. I mused. Well, it means I thought to myself. I complained to myself. You know what happened when I thought to myself? You know what happened when I started talking to myself and complaining to myself? He says, my spirit grew faint. I got worse. So Asaph, is, he's feeling sorry for himself, and he begins to tell himself. He's complaining. He says, I've just become overwhelmed with my situation. My spirit grew faint. You know, complaining, especially complaining to yourself, it just wears you out. 
Isn't that true? You think, why is this happening? It's not fair. I don't deserve this. Life isn't turning out the way I wanted. I don't know how much longer I can take it. It never makes you feel better. Verse 4, he says, you kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. So now, it's as though God is trying to get Asaph to press through this thing. Asaph is groaning and complaining, and he's stretched out at night, and now God keeps him awake. He says, you kept my eyes from closing. Once you start down this road, God's going to stir things up. So if God's keeping you from sleep, then get up and find out what he wants. Even if you're too weary to pray, you can wait in listening prayer. That's, that's what Asaph did. He, he, he couldn't even pray. He couldn't sleep. He said, I was too troubled to speak. So shut up. Asaph is stuck. He's caught between a rock and a hard place. He's in the middle ground between feeling sorry for himself and this God-induced insomnia where he says, God kept my eyes from closing. His mind is swirling around with thoughts and ideas and doubts and questions. And he begins to think about his past. He says in verse 5, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. He said, you know, I, I thought about the good old days. I thought about it when times were better. He says, I remember my songs in the night. I remember how things used to be. My heart mused. There is that word again. My heart mused. <clears throat> I pondered in my heart. He's talking to himself. He begins to admit his fears. My heart mused. <clears throat> my spirit inquired, will the Lord reject me forever? Because really, that's what he's afraid of. He's really afraid God's not going to help him. He really feels like God's going to abandon him. Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful to me? Has, it, has he in his anger withheld his compassion? Another musical break, Selah. Stop here. I remember when I was in confirmation years ago, my pastor said another place for Selah might be put that in your pipe and smoke it. Maybe chew your cud here for a minute. Stop. He said, I remember the good old days, and I wondered, is that it? God, have you left me? Is your kindness all gone? What did I do, God, to make you so angry that you've even withheld your compassion from me? Have you, have you ever asked God that question? What did I do, God, to deserve this? What did I do, God, to make you mad? And then he has to stop and think about it. And when he does stop to think about it, it begins to lead him down a different path. So step one, cry out. Step two, admit your feelings. Step three, appeal to God's faithfulness. Don't, make a, don't try to make a case for how good you've been. Don't try to make a case for how unfair the circumstances are. It's not about your goodness. It's about God's goodness. In verse 10, he says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate, just another way like saying, I'll think, I'll muse, I'll, I'll think deeply about this. I'll meditate on all your works, and I will consider 
Consider is literally the same word that's translated muse before. I will consider all of your mighty deeds. So Asaph, he gives us some thought. And he starts coming to his senses. And when he concludes this, I can't appeal to my own innocence. I can't appeal to my own good behavior. I can't say, well, God owes me one or I deserve better than this. I can't do that. So what I'm going to do, I can't appeal to my character. I'm going to appeal to God's character. And God's character has been revealed through all history. So when Asaph says in verse 10, he's talking about the years of his right hand, what he's saying is, I'm going to think deeply about all the good things God's done for me. I really like the fact that Asaph talks to himself. Don't look at me like you never talk to yourself. You do. You talk to yourself all the time. Asaph talks to himself, and what he does is he reminds himself about all the good things God's done for him. So let's get personal about this. What has God done already for you? How has God already blessed you? What are the things that would qualify the years of God's right hand for you? How did he save you? How has he gotten you out of tight spots before? What were the circumstances? What were you facing? What led up to God's actions? What did he actually do? How did he surprise you? What was his timing? What difference did it make? Stop and think deeply about it. So if you're going to talk to yourself about stuff, talk to yourself about God, what he's done for you. That's the lesson that we can learn from Asaph. Rather than filling your mind with complaints, fill it with praise. Rather than filling it with fearful imaginations of what could happen, fill it with memories of the way God has acted in faith in the past in your life. Think about them in detail. Maybe you ought to make a list. A couple weeks ago, Kurt was sharing some things about Silver Creek Fellowship, and he started sharing about all of our ministries. You know, I've been around a while at Silver Creek. I've been part of the process, and when Kurt started sharing all the things we're doing and stuff, I was amazed. Sometimes you just have to see it written down. What, what has God done for you? Write it down. Think about all the places where God's act on your behalf. Tell yourself the story again. That's what it means to meditate on his works, on his deeds. That's what Paul means in Philippians 4, where he says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things, and the God of peace will be with you. Stop thinking about all the things you don't have and start thinking about all the things you do have. So here's the point. When you're having one of those moments where you think, I can't take this anymore, When you're having that conversation with yourself, change the subject. That's what Asaph does. He changes the subject. He goes from all the complaints about how bad things are, and he begins to change the subject. Even before circumstances change in his life, he changes the subject, and he begins to address God directly. He makes an appeal. Listen to this change. He's going to go from, God, are you finished being kind to me, to God, you're so amazing. What made the difference? Well, he was, he's going to meditate on God's glory rather than on his problems. So that's number four. Turn your complaints into praise. Instead of singing, woe is me, 
Start singing, wow, is God. He begins to worship. He's not just talking to himself anymore about God. He starts talking about God. Turn your self-talk into God talk. The Bible says this in Habakkuk 3.17. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty. Let's just stop right there. Has this been good news or bad news? It's all bad. It's really, really bad. Yet, in spite of all the bad news, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. I'm not going to be necessarily rejoicing that my barns are empty and that my fields are desolate. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. And so Asaph, that's what he does. It says in Psalm 77, verse 13, Asaph begins to say, Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the mighty God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people with your mighty arm. You redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Selah. Stop and think about it. Take it deeper. Asaph says, God, you redeemed your people, and this is how you did it. Verse 16, the waters saw you. Oh, God, the water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. He's, he's talking about, you know, I started by talking about the, crossing the Red Sea, being between a rock and a hard spot. Asaph is describing how the power of God opened up the Red Sea. He says, the clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Then verse 19, he says, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, through, though your footprints were not seen. In fact, you might even want to circle that phrase, though your footprints were not seen. They were led to the Red Sea. They were standing there on the banks, and all they could see was water. All they could see was trouble. All they could see was Pharaoh's armies charging in behind. They got troubles in front of them and troubles behind them, and it was like a nightmare. But that was the path that God was leading them on. And then he opened up a way where there seemed to be no way, and he led them through the impossibility. So, just because you can't see God, or feel God, or hear God, it doesn't mean he's not with you. And just because he's taking you down a road that you've never been on, it doesn't mean God's not, that God still knows where you're going. Lord, you might be saying, this road looks like a dead end. The path you've been leading me on, is, it's clearly leading me into a sea of trouble. And I don't see any sign that you've gone ahead of me. Following God's unseen footprints is a step of faith. In the New Living Translation, it says, Your road led me through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. When you're faced with trouble, I, I think our first instinct is try to find a way around it. But when you're following the Lord, oftentimes the path leads you right through the trouble. 
Your pathway led through the sea. Your road led through the sea. Not around it, but through it. <clears throat> One of the things that I've become as a grandpa, I've become a YouTube DJ. And um, Keegan and Kyler come over to our house a couple nights a week and and one of the things, when football's not on, Keegan and I watch football when it's on, but when football's not on, I play YouTube videos, and one of the ones we've done a lot of times, maybe you've heard it, is we're going on a bear hunt. Have you heard that one? We're going on a bear hunt. And then all these obstacles come up, and then there's this recurring chorus, we can't go over it, we can't go under it, we can't go around it, we're going to have to go through it. Not around the obstacle, but through it. Not around the trouble, but through it. Not around the impossibility, but through it. Your path led through the sea, though your footprints were unseen. Friends, this takes renewed faith. When the path is not clearly laid out and there's no footprints ahead, you just have to stop and remember what God's already done. That's what builds your faith for the current challenge. You say, Lord, I've never seen anything like this before. Lord, I've never faced this kind of trouble before. I've never had a hardship like this. I've never had a diagnosis like this. I don't know what to do, but I'm trusting you. I may not know where I'm going, Lord, but I do know who I'm following. And that's Asaph's conclusion. He remembers what God did, and he trusts him to do it again. God sometimes leads us by ways and in ways that we've never seen before. He takes us through obstacles that we thought were impassable. He takes us down roads that we didn't even know existed. Listen to what the Lord said in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. But I want you to notice something about what Isaiah says. He doesn't say, if you walk through the water. He says, when you walk through the waters. When you pass through the rivers. When you walk through the fire. And he came to the conclusion that the reason he wasn't going to be afraid, the reason that he had confidence, is because God says, I'm with you. I am the Lord, your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'm going to ask the band to come back. So take heart. Do what Asaph did. When you're between a rock and a hard spot, when you haven't got a prayer, cry out to Him. Seek Him out. Lift your hands in prayer. Look for Him. Look for signs of His presence. And when you do, don't get all religious about your prayer. Get, get honest. Admit your feelings and admit that your fears are. Put him to the test. Appeal to his character. Turn your complaints into praise. Friends, actually, that's what we're going to do here in just a minute. I love this verse Jeremiah had. Jeremiah 3.15. I don't know if I put this in your notes or not. Write it down. Lamentations 3.15, I said Jeremiah, Jeremiah Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. This is what he says about God. God, you turned my life sour. He made me eat gravel 
He rubbed me in the dirt. I can't find peace or remember happiness. I tell myself I'm finished. I can't count on the Lord to do anything for me. Just thinking about my troubles and my lonely wanderings makes me miserable. That's all I ever think about, and I am depressed. Well, I should say so. Thinking about all that stuff, that'd be enough to depress anybody, wouldn't it? But then the thought came to his mind. He, he, he mused. He thought about it. He says, then I remembered something that fills me with hope. The Lord's kindness never fails. If he had not been merciful, we would have been destroyed. The Lord can always be trusted to show mercy each morning. Deep in my heart, I say, the Lord is all I need. I can depend on him. Are you between a rock and a hard spot? Well, turn your complaints to praise. Why don't you stand with me? I want you to do this with me today as an exercise in faith. I want you to tell the Lord, you're all I need. Just say it out loud. Lord, you're all I need. Now, because of that, say this. I can depend on you. Lord, you're all I need. I can depend on you. I'm going through a tough spot. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I do know this. You're God. And you made promises to me. And I'm depending on you.